Hello, welcome back to another episode of Ian Grammar Store Podcast. I'm your host, Braylon Williams, and I want to thank you to, for joining me again for another episode. But if this is your first time listening to the podcast, what this podcast is all about is it's about how the Enneagram can be used as one of the best tools to help us become better people. And so um, I don't know if I shared any of this recently on the podcast before, but um, 2023 has been a year already, and we're just at the at the time of the recording is at the end of February, and it's been a lot uh, in my life happening. Um, so first, it was the struggle of trying to get school bill paid for the semester, and then it was my car broke down, so I had to figure out how to get that paid, and then I went to the ER, ER to the emergency room a couple weeks ago because I, I thought I was just dealing with a real bad sinus headache because I've been dealing with sinus issues for a long time now, a couple months actually. And they tested me for a flu and they tested me for COVID. Flu was negative, COVID was positive. So um, I did my time in isolation, did my time wearing a mask. Um, actually, the last thing I had to wear a mask was the day before this recording. Um, and so it's been a great time, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and I say that would, I say it a little bit sarcastically, but also I say, honestly, through all of this, um, through trying to figure out how to pay school, through trying to um, figure out how am I going to pay for this sudden car repair that's a thousand dollars, and through dealing with COVID, it seems completely horrible, and I mean, it was, but at the same time, there was weirdly some peaceful moments in it all, um, I, I think solely because I am not the type of person to stop the going, like, if you look at my calendar, it is filled with a lot of stuff, just from trying to run my own business, trying to do college stuff, trying to do worship stuff. My calendar is pretty full. And so it, it, all these things were kind of like, all right, let's take a moment to rest. Let's take a moment to just think about the present moment here. And so while I kind of hated it, um, it was also weirdly um, nice to have this kind of quote unquote mandated points of rest where, you know, I had to slow down. I had to think, what is happening? I had to think, all right, here is a time to rest. So it was nice. But that's really kind of all that's happened in my life recently. So I, life has been kind of mundane recently. Nothing new has happened. Um, but I, hopefully something new and exciting, not new and, oh my goodness, will happen soon. Um, but I want to talk about today's show a little bit. And before I do that, let me just say, like, last week I had a blast. I want to we record it last week's episode, um, me and Jane Stevens. Um, in fact, immediately after we recorded and I had everything shut down as far as like Zoom and all that. 
um, I began to brainstorm some more topics we could do so I can have Gene back on the podcast. So um, another episode with Gene Stevens is in the works. That's all I can say. Um, so uh, I'll be thinking of the best topic and I'll pick it out and then I'll say, hey, let's get, let's get together again to record another podcast episode. So it's going to be great. Um, but if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to right now pause this podcast episode and go back to listen to that episode because it, we in that episode, Gene and I talk about being present and the work that it takes to stay present. But we also talk about some of the most memorable moments from her book, What's Here Now, How to Stop Rehashing the Past, Rehearsing the Future, and Start Receiving the Present. And if you haven't read that book too, I highly encourage you to buy it. I'm going to put a link to purchase it from Amazon in the show notes. So check it out. Uh, it's a good book. It's one of my favorite books now. It was really hard for me to put that book down. Um, so typically when I read a book, I, I like to, because I understand how long I can focus and actually understand something. I, I like to read about three chapters at a time. So it's fairly easy for me to stick on that three chapter limit per hour and a half. Um, there's only been two books ever since I've been doing this three chapter uh, limit that I've been like, I don't want to do the limit. I want to just continue reading until I can't read no more. Jane's book is one of those books. So it's, uh, it's a good book and I love it. Again, look in the show notes because there's going to be a link to Amazon where you can buy it. Um, and so enough about last week's episode, but what today's episode is all about is all about the harmonic groups. Of the Enneagram. Not to be confused with the harmony groups of the Enneagram. So within the harmony groups, we have the competency, the reactive, and the positive, positive outlook groups. And so what, what the harmony groups of the Enneagram tell us is how each type responds to conflicts. Now this is different from the harmony groups of the Enneagram and um, we'll talk about the harmony groups in another episode. Um, but within the harmonic groups, again, telling how each type deals with conflicts, we have the positive outlook group, which is composed of types 2, 7, and 9. We have the competency, competency group, which is composed of types 1, 3, and 5. And then we have the reactive group, which is composed of types 4, 6, and 8. And I found this quote from the book Wisdom of the Enneagram by Don Riso and Russ Hudson that I really like and how it really explains what the harmonic groups are. And so before we go really into depth, I, I want to read this quote to you. And, and what they say, what Don Riso and Russ Hudson say in their book Wisdom of the Enneagram is, the harmonic groups are useful for transformational work because they indicate how each person copes when they do not get what they want, as indicated by the triad they are in. Thus, they reveal the fundamental way that our personality defends against loss and disappointment. That is, like I said, I, I, I like the quote because it's truth, and that's what, at the heart of all conflict, that's what it is, is how do I respond to not getting what I expect? How do I respond? The heart of conflict is how, what is happening now? How, what is the response to loss? What is the response to losing 
what I thought would happen, personally. So we're gonna talk about that. I am so grateful for everyone's support. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. But if you're not already subscribed to Enneagram Restored Podcast, don't forget to follow and subscribe to Enneagram Restored Podcast to be notified of each new episode that is released. And so I want to start by first talking about the reactive group, again, which is type four, type six, and type eight. I am within this group because I am a type eight. Um, and so within the reactive group, each of these three types have their own way of reacting emotionally to conflict. These types have feelings about the problem and everyone is going to know how they feel about that problem. They are not shy about voicing and showing how they feel about a conflict. Four, six, and eight are verbal they are physical with their response to the, with their emotional response to conflict here's the problem here's what i think about it and it, honestly here's what i think we should do to resolve the conflict it all just kind of happens at one point it's not separated into different stages so typically we would think all right so the a conflict presents itself we figure out what we think about it and how we want to respond and then we respond that's not really, that's typically not the case for types within this reactive group, this four, six, and eight. It typically is, all right, here's the conflict, here's how I feel, and here's how I respond. There's only like two stages. There's not three separate stages. Now I'm spilling my coffee. Um, and the thing about these types is that if they aren't able to vent their feelings, and that pent-up aggression, that pent-up emotional response can become a way of them be being a resentful and vindictive person. So it's really nice to be on the lookout for that to say, hey, do I have a if you are a four, six, and eight, do do I have any pent-up aggression towards a conflict? Um me just being personal and being vulnerable for a moment. There was um, a situation where Actually, it was just a couple months ago, I would say late 2022, and I realized, oh wait, I have some pent-up aggression about this situation. Now, it wasn't a bad situation. It was, um, uh, as a matter of fact, I kind of, when I recognized that I had this aggression, this resentfulness, this bitterness towards the situation and how it ended, I kind of honestly felt... um, a little bit of shame because it is not how I want to feel about the situation. Um, the person who is involved in the situation, I have high regard for, high, deep feelings for. Um, just FYI, it's a girl. Um, and so, a girl who I tried to date at some point, honestly, and still trying to date um, years later. But that's a different situation. That's a different time. There's another story for another time. Um, but I realized, oh, wait, how we ended things has left me with a little bit of bitterness. Primarily because I didn't try hard enough. But realizing that it's like, I don't want to feel this way towards that person because I really like this person. And so 
but I never took out the time. I just to really pause and say, how do I feel about the situation? But I don't even know what brought the situation to my mind. I think I might have just been thinking about it. Um, and I realized, oh, wait, I actually feel bitter about how we ended things, uh, how everything has happened. But taking time to notice that and resolve that, because like I said, I, I did not want to feel that way towards that person. And honestly, I didn't know that. I even felt that way until I took out a moment to say, all right, what's here now? When thinking about the situation, it's like, all right, let's see what you, everything has happened in the past. Here I am in this moment thinking about the situation. So Braylon, what's here now? And then I paused, took a moment, and realized, oh wait, I feel a little bit of hatred. I feel a little bit of bitterness towards the person, towards the entire situation. But I don't want to feel this way because She's a great person. So I, I wouldn't want to say that I got over that bitterness, that hatred quickly, but that would be a lie. Um, it took it took time, and honestly, I'm still. Well, I've gotten over the majority of it, even now, even though that was months ago when I made that realization. I'm still slowly getting over that bitterness, getting over that unre unrecognized hatred that I kind of had for the entire situation. So that just goes to show that, hey, if we don't vent, if four, six, and eights don't vent, because I did not vent, there's only one person on this entire world other than the girl herself that knows a majority of what happened. So... I, I'm a person who I keep to myself a lot about my personal situations because that's just who I am. But Breakthrough knew me within a couple of years or so, becoming more vulnerable and telling people about situations, telling you guys about situations in my life. But anyway, moving on, um, a dilemma that types 4, 6, and 8 have within the reactive group is that they all have this difficulty of balancing their independence with their need for support from others. And I'll be the first to attest to this is a struggle, like a struggle like no other. I am the first to say I strive for independence, but at the same time, I have a desire to get support from other people. But it's like, at the same time, I am who I am. If they don't want to support me, I'll support my own self. So it's this constant, struggle the balance of the scales of hey can i support myself hey what what's happening here so it's it's tough um to show you even more of what this balance looks like i, I want to use the example of a parent to child relationship so at all times four sixes and eights are externally exhibiting independence However, subconsciously, fours want to be the child. They want to be taken care of at all times. They don't, while they externally exhibit independence internally, they're thinking, I wish you would support me. I wish you would be like parent figure that I need to 
just provide for all my um, essential needs. Sixers want to be both. They want to be independent subconsciously, but also subconsciously they want someone to be take on that parental role and provide for them to support for them emotionally, physically, um, and maybe even financially. Um, sixes are the type who want, like I said, they, they want to be the parent, but they also want to be the child. And so finding that balance of which is best. And obviously that's not a bad thing. Um, so my, my caution to any six who might be listening now though is recognize that and, and use that to your advantage. Um, say, all right, is this a good moment to where I can be the parent? To want to be the parent, or is this a moment where I need to desire this to be the child and allow to allow someone else to take on that parental role? Just a good point of reflect self reflection there. Oh, but we eights, we we eights have the most gumption because we we don't we don't even think of ourselves as a child when we are a child, <laughs> so. I remember that perfectly. Like I was growing up as as young as I remember, I was like, I'm not a child. I am a full grown adult. But it's like, okay, you don't want to provide for me. I'll provide for myself. Um, so eights solely want to play the parental role. They want to provide for not only themselves, but everyone. Because honestly, and not going to say that this is this is a personal generalization this isn't a actual generalization within the Enneagram this just is a personal one that I think is that the way AC is nobody else is stepping up to the plate I might as well step to the plate nobody else is going to be the parent I might as well be the parent nobody else is going to provide nobody has to provide for me so um you know my friend nobody's going to provide for you so let me provide for you that's just way I think about it. I, I want to go deeper here. I gotta move quickly because I am very long-winded winded this episode. Um, so I'm looking at my clock right here and I am already almost to the halfway point. Um, so I've, I've got to start to move a little bit faster here. Um, so to go a little bit deeper of how each of these types react within the harmonic groups, let's take a look at fours first. Fours react by withdrawing and seeking a support again, taking on that. All right, I subconsciously want to be the child of rogue. Um, the fours fear abandonment, so they seek someone who will understand them and support their life and support their dreams. Fours have a longing to be seen, which kind of goes back to one of the core things about type fours, you know. Fours are the individualists of the group. They like to be unique. They like to, you know, really point out their uniqueness, um, standing out in the world. Um, if you think, just to put it in kind of terms, I, I've been kind of binge watching The Simpsons 
um, recently. And so if you think about it, everybody in The Simpsons is typically yellow. But then you have Apu and his family who are not yellow. The world is all the yellow characters. Forrest are Apu and his family. But they're going to play to that uniqueness. And they're going to say, hey, I look different. I am different. Look at me. Notice me for my uniqueness. That translates into how they react to conflict. That translates into how they reside in this group, this harmonic group. They could, but also when they respond to conflict, they tend to over-Germanicize things and uh, they often withdraw into their imagination, which in this case is even more of a problem because when they go into their mind space and they go to the imagination, fours typically escalate the problem because what they do is they go into their mind and say, oh my goodness, this is not going to get better. This is getting worse each moment. And so they escalate those feelings of despair and they're escalating feelings of hopelessness as they retreat into that to their mental space within the problem. And I think it's because it's how they are thinking of it. I would I would say to I would say that it's safe to say that fours are overthinkers a little bit. So when they retreat to their mental space to think about problems, then they're overthinking of everything of problem itself and all the solutions of how each solution could work and how each solution could go wrong which again escalates those feelings of despair and hopelessness sixes though react by assessing and seeking independence alongside the forest sixes fear abandonment too but they also fear being too dependent. Again, like I said, they want to play both roles. They want to be the parent, but they also want to be the child. They want to provide, but they also don't want to be providing too much. Um, they, we, we fear being controlled by others. And, and this fear leads to, this fear of control then leads to another fear, and that is the fear of intimacy and the fear of becoming vulnerable enough by trusting or caring too much. And so here is a problem that just causes another problem. And I'll be the first to attest again. I, I appreciate the choir first to attest to everything here uh, when it comes to AIDS. And often is them going on long rants about the problem and the solutions that could happen. Um, but in these rants, it can often look like a hysterical overreaction and, and and they can often exhibit feelings of inferiority. Let's look a little bit deeper into eights though. Eights react by openly expressing anger and seeking independence. Oh my goodness. Again, as an eight myself, I can I can attest to how true this is because I do it all the time. Um, I've gotten better at it where I kind of calm myself down first. Um, I allow myself to get angry, um, but 
uh, I, I don't fly off the handles. Uh, as a kid, though, I, I was the worst. I mean, even in high school, I was pretty bad still. Um, especially when it was a conflict within the household. Um, in public, my anger didn't really show all that much. It was more of an internal anger uh, than it was external. But when it comes to conflicts within the family, within my own home, oh boy, you best to believe my anger was at the forefront of it all. And so, but for AIDS, a lot of my fears of intimacy personally come from the fact of uh, it, I don't want to be controlled. Um, I don't want to be, if I become intimate, how, how would that play on my life? If I become intimate, will that limit me to certain things? Will I not be able to? And honestly, it will. That's just life, period. Um, but I, I don't want that as a possibility uh, to be limited into what I can do if I increase my intimacy with people. And so it, it's, it's a real thing that happens in life no matter what. But honestly, as apes, we don't want it to happen. So we more often than not deny that it's just a natural part of life. Um, so let's move on to talk about the positive outlook, outlook group, though. Again, this, the positive outlook group is made up of types 2, 7s, and 9s. And each of these types within this group have their own way of, you guessed it, putting a positive spin to conflicts. The thing about each of these types, though, is when, when they put this positive, positive, I can't talk. When they put this positive spin on things, they each emphasize something differently. All right. And I don't want to touch base what that different emphasis is in a moment. But before we go there, um, I want you to know that these types are morale builders because they want others to feel good because they want to stay feeling good themselves. They don't like staying in the, the icky, icky stuff of life. And so they're going to build the morale of other people. So... Not only can they feel good themselves, but also other people can feel good. So let's talk about how each type is, though. And so, and each type and what they each kind of emphasize differently when they put this positive spin on things. So for twos, this emphasis is on self-image. So they're going to emphasize the positive self-image of themselves. Twos are very adept at avoiding their own needs and disappointments. Thus, they emphasize the needs of others. Honestly, if, if there was a competition of who's best at neglecting their own needs, twos would win every time without any doubt. They would win about 100 miles long. Uh, twos rely heavily on what others think about them. So 
this results in them always looking for ways to fulfill others' needs. Why? Because twos think that if and when they fulfill somebody else's needs, that person will think positively about the two. It's kind of like twos are seeking approval ratings all the time, and which is true. Uh, but sevens, though, emphasize positive experiences, which allows them to avoid their pain and their role in creating suffering. Just want to take a moment to pause here. I never thought of it this way until I was doing my little research for this episode. I've always thought sevens don't want to feel their pain from things that have happened to them. But I read that point where it says, I read somewhere where it says they don't want to, they want to avoid their role in creating the suffering. It's like, oh wait, that's that's good. It was just a new outlook because most of the time we think uh, sevens are just avoiding painful experiences in general, but you never really to think out to say maybe more deeply they're trying to avoid the fact that they could have played a part in creating this bad experience. As in seven wing myself, that just kind of, uh, that kind of awoken me a little bit. I, I'm Like I said, I'm not a type seven core, um, but I do have a seven wing. And when I saw that, I, I thought, oh, maybe there have been instances in my life where during, when I've taken on the seven wing of where it really wasn't that I was avoiding the painful experience, but I was avoiding the fact that I could have played a detrimental part of creating that painful experience. And that's just a thought that I had as a seven wing. Imagine how that thought plays out in somebody who is a core type seven. Just food for thought. Sevens overemphasize their own needs a lot. So that in turn often leads to them feeling burdened by the needs of other people. So they will try their best to avoid other people's needs. Again, adverting to the positive experiences. How can we avoid your needs? If we, What can we do to have fun to avoid your needs? Go zipline. Okay, there we go. Go, go for go for all right let's do it go shopping let's do it let's do it let's do it all the things because sevens are unattached to people and things it allows them to bombard themselves with different ex positive experiences it allows them to just ram roll to the next thing all right so nines emphasize the positive qualities of other people and the positive qualities of their environments in order to avoid discomfort again going back to kind of the core things of a nine you know we call nines the peacekeepers the peacemakers um, because they don't like to feel discomfort and so they avoid problems that might be present not only with themselves but with their loved ones with their environments So a, a, a key point for a nine who might be listening and say, what is something that I've been recently avoiding? Is it a problem or is it just something that is 
work even though it doesn't need my time check in with yourself pretty often You know, it seems like it was just yesterday when I was planning on announcing that I was starting a podcast all about the Enneagram. But it's been two years already. I mean, come on, man. It is just so unreal how much time flies. But I just want to take a moment out to say thank you for being an avid listener of Enneagram Restored Podcast. And although we're already in season three, this podcast is just getting started. So grab a cup of coffee and your journal, and let's go on a journey of restoration together. All right, so let's move on and talk about the last group that I want to talk about, and that is the competency group, which is types one, three, and five. Each type within this group puts an emphasis on different aspects of competency in response to conflict. They want the problems to be taken care of immediately, but it has to be done in a in an objective manner. There can't be feelings involved. So for ones, the emphasis is on being correct, organized, and sensible. One's focus is on standards, improving themselves, and knowing the rules. Um, so within this group, though, each of each of these three types have a different way of how they relate to systems. And for ones, they want to work with the systems. They want to follow the rules. They want to follow the regulations. They want to follow every standard to the dotted I's and the cross T's. They ones feel like they must repress and deny their feelings in order to remain objective. Threes emphasize competency by being efficient capable and outstanding when it comes to working with systems though threes want to straddle the fence a little bit um, they want to work with the system but they also like being outside of the system threes are the type of within the group that will bend the rules a little bit you know i'm gonna follow them but i'm going to follow them in the way that is more efficient for myself when i think about this i kind of think about to back to a high school math classes uh, where they said you've got to show your work of how you got to the answer threes would be like um i got the answer take the answer you know i got it i don't have to show my work because showing my work is less efficient probably not the best example but that's the best i could come up with um but anyway fives however emphasize competency by being an expert again we know that one thing that fives do is that they do a lot of research. Um, like they like to know a lot of about everything so that they can have all the information about different things. Fives focus on the process, the objective facts, and maintaining clarity and detachment. When I say detachment, this is mainly a detachment emotionally, but also a... Uh, detachment kind of physically um they kind of fives kind of want to be able to say all right i can step away from the situation pretty quickly if need need to but when it comes to working with systems you know ones want to work with the system threes want to work with but also outside systems fives just don't want to think that there's a system completely they reject the system completely um they they want to work 
they reject it because they believe that all these rules and all these procedures and all these regulations that a system has is only going to slow them down to get the results that they want. So fives want to reject the system so they can work on their own because their patience for all these rules and for all these procedures is little to none. I probably could go a little bit deeper, but I'm not going to. But that's a pretty good in-depth view of all the harmonic groups of the Enneagram in each type within their perspective groups. Um, again, just to kind of recap, we have the competency group, which is types 1, 3, 5. We have the reactive group, which is types 4, 6, 8. Then we have the positive outlook group, which is types 2, 7, and 9, um, which make all three of those groups make up what we call the harmonic groups of the Enneagram. So, but I want to move on to the next segment, which is a segment that I kind of started a couple episodes ago, um, but I really haven't had the opportunity because I started and I think it was a guest, I think it was Jane's episode, so it was a guest episode, um, so I think I've only done it once, um, but this is a segment where I, I just want to give practical advice to help each type plan for the next steps of their healing journey, of their transformational work. Uh, and the advice that I'm giving is solely Braylon Williams' advice. This is not um, years of Enneagram work back work per se. I mean, it, it comes from my research. It comes from understanding the Enneagram and knowing the Enneagram through researching and learning about it. Um, but for the most part, it, it's just personal opinion of a good next step to becoming a more holistic person. And of course, I, I want to say before I jump into giving that advice, though, is that I want you to adopt what I say in this segment with where you are currently in life. Because I know we, we have this core type and then we have these wings and then we have these subtypes and we are all apart these different groups. We're part of the harmonic groups, the harmony groups, the stances group. We're, there's so many different subsets within Enneagram that influence how we work as core types. Use that. Know where you are within your core type. Know where you are within your subtype. Know where you are within your wings. Know where you are within each of the different Enneagram groups and say, all right, here's the advice that he's given me. How can I adapt that to where I am? Because, again, we're at we're all at different levels of health within where we are in life. So the advice that I give, the general advice that I give to apes might have to be adapted just a little bit for me, depending on where I am. If I'm more, if I'm more in an unhealthy state, it might have to be adapted a whole lot. It might just have to be adapted a little bit. It, it, take what I say as a generalization and then say, all right, how can I adapt this to best fit where I am currently? So what I want to do here today, since we're talking about groups, is I'm going to split it up into three different groups. And so for the competency group, I think it would be a good thing for you guys to 
really lean on your gut feeling more uh, when it comes to making a decision. And when I say that, I think it would be a good thing for you to learn how to balance the thought process and the decision making that involves both the subjective thinking and the objective thinking. Balancing your feelings with the facts. And I believe when you find a good balance of feelings and facts within decision making, um, not only will that balance become more natural as the more you practice it and the more you do it, but also I think once you find that balance and you practice it and it becomes natural, your decision making will just really become more effective across the board, whether it's personal decisions or work decisions or um, social life decisions. I just think once you find that balance between subjective and objective that really works for you, and you practice it more and more, and it becomes really a natural thing. I just think that's a good way for the top, you guys, the ones, threes, and fives, to really take a good next step to becoming a more whole person. For the reactive group, I think a practical thing for you guys to do would be something that I've been doing a lot recently. And this kind of this advice stems from my personal. Um, advice recently and it also stems from last week's episode um from gene's book what's here now I, I think it'll be a good thing just to slow down and learn how to ask the question what's here now in moments pause and say what's here now when conflict happens say what's here now what am i feeling what am i thinking why am i feeling this why am I thinking this? Because within our group, emotion hits us hard when conflicts happen. So it would be good to make a decision that's not solely subjective, but more objective too. Not only do I think it would be good for you to learn how to slow down and pose the question to yourself of what's here now, but it will also be good to just draw from the strengths of the competency group and to find that to also find that balance of your objective and subjective decision making making a, a decision from facts but also making a decision that is kind of based in feelings too that finding that balance too but even further than that i think it also be good for those within the reactive group types four sixes and eights also draw from the positive outlook group to see if the problem or the conflict is really worthy of more attention is it something that you can move away from quickly and just go to the next positive situation really when i say draw from the positive outlook group i'm really saying you need to draw from the sevens really do i need to stay in this painful state or can I just forget about it and move to the next positive experience? And lastly, for the positive outlook group, I think it would be a good thing for you guys, types two, sevens, and nines, to learn to sit with the pain. I know it, it, it doesn't feel good. It's something that I have to learn to do myself and learn to sit with the awkward moments, the you moments, the painful moments, the I want to move past this moment. 
I think if you learn not to overlook the problem, and if you learn to recognize the problem, feel the problem, then fix the problem, instead of just recognize the problem and fix the problem, I think if you really learn how to just sit and feel the problem, feel the emotions, to feel the emotions, but also to sit with it and feel the good emotions of the problem. Because there is one thing that I have learned in my life in just 23 years of living already is that problems, painful moments, do have painful emotions, painful feelings, but the painful moments also can and will have some positive emotions and feelings too. So learn to sit within the painful moments so you can fully experience not only the painful ones so you can learn how to better handle the painful emotions and feelings, but also so you can say, oh, this problem had this positive emotion, this positive feeling. How can I draw upon that within the next situation? I think it'll be a good thing for you guys within the positive outlook group to really draw from the reactive and the competency groups to better deal with problems. Notice when when I say draw from the reactive group, I, I mean notice notice what's emotions are happening right then and there. And then when I say draw from the competency group is you know what is the most efficient, reliable, capable, objective decision to fix the problem. Those are just some practical steps that I think could help each type within each group become a more whole person. Again, this is this advice is it's not the full picture. It's just uh, a speck within the full picture. And also Again, adapt it to where you are currently in life so that it really benefits you. But with all that being said, that is all that I have for this episode. Um, again, thank you for listening. listening. Next week, I am going to be doing a special episode, primarily because I've got behind in podcast creation process and I don't. And I've got to take some buffer time before I can get back to the next subtype um, because of sickness and everything I got behind. And so kind of doing a couple of buffer episodes till I can get back on track. And so next week is a special episode um, and it is going to be about understanding stress and security numbers. All right. And so we're going to take a look at that. Really is no script to that. It's really going to be all off the cuffs. Of my mind, I'm going to use when I do that episode next week. Though I'm going to use one of my favorite resources that I have. I'll talk more about what this resource is, but it's a resource by Jackie Brewster. Uh, it's called you may have heard of it. It's called the Enneagram Essentials, and it's 125 cards, I believe, for deeper insight about each type. Um, so I actually have it sitting sitting on my coffee table, so I can just pick it up at any moment and look at it for myself or even if somebody comes in and be like, all right, here we go. Here's some deeper insight. Um, so yeah, that's next week's episode. Um, it's going to be a great episode. Um, also, don't forget to follow and subscribe to Enneagram Store Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Instagram. 
Uh, and be sure to leave a review, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, because when you do that, it helps the discoverability of the podcast and says, hey, this is a great podcast. People should be listening to this podcast because it has helped me, and I believe it's going to help other people. So please, if you think this is a great podcast, leave a review or at least just re- leave a rate, which is basically just saying, hey, I think this podcast is five out of five stars. Um, or four out of four stars or three out of four stars. Rate, in your honest opinion, if you think it's a one out of five, I won't be hurt. Hey, that's room for growth. That's to say, hey, how can I improve? But I do ask that if you're going to rate, if you want to leave an honest rating of one out of five, please also leave a review to say, hey, this is what I think you can improve on. So I can improve on what you think I need to improve on. I'm not just guessing, hey, what can I do to improve this one out of five rate? But with all that being said, it's time that I end this episode. And you know, I'm going to end it the same way I've always been ending episodes since the first episode in March of 2021. I want you to remember one thing. And that one thing I want you to remember is that the Enneagram doesn't define you, but it does bring restoration. It helps reshape your thinking and habits.